1: you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com.
2: Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Dominic Fifield of The Guardian and John Cross of The Daily Mirror. Don't look now, but Manchester City are odds on to win the Premier League next season. Let's get this season out of the way, shall we? City, worthy champions, had worthy challengers in Liverpool. Now they seek a treble at Watford's expense in the FA Cup final on Saturday. Can't really bet against them, can
0: you, Dom? No, no you can't. And uh, even post-match yesterday at the the Amex Stadium, talking to players and, and when Pep Guardiola came in and spoke to us, they were already talking about the FA Cup final. They were already talking about this unprecedented domestic treble, and actually they're already talking about and mentioning constantly the fact that there's still disappointment that they went out of the Champions League at the stage they did. So the the, the levels of perfectionism within that squad, driven by the manager, well, they, I mean, they will demand that they go out there at Wembley next weekend and and secure that trophy um, and they can look back on the season with some real satisfaction.
2: Mm, it's a
0: real
3: no-limits <laughs> strategy, isn't it, John? Mm, absolutely. Driven. Absolutely. I thought that... Honestly, my favourite quote amidst all the celebration and 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 you know deserved adulation for their brilliant season—they've been unbelievable. I think it's been by far and away the best title race in 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 the Premier League era, and that I would argue makes them the best champions of of the Premier League. I think in history, I really do. But. The best quote, I thought, really came right at the end of, of Guardiola's press conference when he said, basically, he was asked for any weaknesses in his squad. Oh. And he said, yes, there are plenty of weaknesses. And we all looked in astonishment. <laughs> for, Where? And basically, he, he's then come back and uh, the, uh, the sort of the person that asked the question and said, well, let set pieces from set pieces, I go in the dressing room and I'm the tallest person amongst my players. It, you know, can't, it's, not, it's not enough, basically. And then he said, when we defend set pieces, I have to go to the church and pray. <laughs> I mean, it's a brilliant quote. It's absolutely wonderful. But it summed up, I think, actually a very valid point because I think Fernandinho, who's been absolutely phenomenal um, for them in the last couple of seasons, but he has suffered with injuries this, this season and he, clearly he's getting on with age and... I guess they will need someone, I think, to to replace him. So, A, a big commanding, perhaps, you know, a sort of a tall midfielder who sort of then doubles up in in sort of defending set pieces. A centre-half. I mean, blimey, Laporte has been phenomenal in my view, absolutely fantastic defender. But what's company going to do next? It would appear to me that maybe company's going to move on. I don't know. But I, I, that, Can't I, you see him staying at the club in some capacity? I, I hope so, Mike. But I, I do think that he's been very clear, company, isn't he, that he wants to carry on playing. So he's basically saying there's no way I'm retiring. We'll see what, what, what comes of it. I just think his value in the last few weeks like you, has shown to me that he's got something beyond his playing days. Mm -hmm. Fabulous ambassador, fabulous servant for Man City. Will they, you know, bearing in mind how well he's played recently, will they think about giving him one more year? I'd like to think so. Stones has been in and out, hasn't he? Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a new sort of challenge lying ahead for Otamendi. Just makes me think I think they'll sign, you know, that holding midfield player with some height and also another really... Strong, physically powerful center half, because I think if you got one of those alongside Laporte, I think it, it would be arguably make up the best you know sort of central defensive partnership in the Premier League. I know I'm being really picky here because I think they've been fabulous. Mm. but I do think that Guardiola, the reason he's so good, the reason he's so successful is that basically it, when he wins something, he wants to push on again. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think retaining the title marks you down as the hallmark of brilliant champions, the, the, the best there, but also wanting to improve every year. And that is why Guardiola, for me, is the best coach in the world.
0: I suspect they'll try and improve on David Silva as well. I mean, that's it's hard to do, and he's been, a, he's been a great of the Premier League era and one of the most amazing signings that Manchester City have made. But I look at him now, and although there was, there was a touch of class always in everything he does, I wonder whether... He's got a year left to go, and this might be the time to get somebody in to give them a period of adjustment at the club as well, so that they can take up the mantle the left by David Silver when he when he departs the Etihad as well. But Crossy's right; they're all about improving. They're all about building on success, and you could argue that you know in the past maybe the, one of the reasons we haven't had back to back title winners for a decade. Is that teams sort of rest on their laurels? I mean, look at Chelsea. Every time they win the Premier League
2: title, they take a year off, don't they? Yeah,
0: and and it, it, they never build upon it anymore. They used to, but they don't anymore. And and I think City are the type of club now that will that will carry on building and building. Because
2: with that relentlessness, Dom, you know, I, I think one of the you know, many stats that was thrown around in the aftermath of that win at Brighton, Pep's got a, an overall eighty-two percent win record. Mm in his 10 years as a manager. Now, okay, you can say he's at the best clubs, but are we looking at someone who, in essence, is City's Ferguson? I I don't think Pep will will have the longevity of a
0: Ferguson. Mm. I don't think he would want to do that. I think we saw with, with Bayern Munich, he gets to the stage where he needs to move on. He might even need a break just to recharge his batteries, because look at the intensity of the man, I mean, even before the game yesterday, he, he, he did his usual thing where he came out to the dugouts, and sat there, I was, I was out out about an hour before kick-off, and it was before the players had come out. Because those dugouts are very close to the yeah, press yeah, box. Very, right? very, just, yeah, very, very, just in front of the press box. And he was sitting there on his own. Done, he did a few sort of selfies with some of the fans, which was which was nice, and he warmed him to, to the locals. So to see. But then he went and sat there in his seat, and his, his foot was jiggling up and down. It was an agitation to him. He was obviously a bit nervous. And He was just surveying the scene. And you just look at it. He, the man was already completely engulfed in what the occasion was going to be about and you know he'd done all his preparation his players must have known what they had to go out and do but it consumes him and it must get to the stage where he just needs a little breather just to recharge his batteries and then see where he goes again, uh, it's not now I mean he, he suggested post-match as well that he, that he needs that time to recharge mm. and the intensity of a season does take it out of him but but it's not yet because there's still work to be done at City, there's still a third Premier League title in a row. There's still the Champions League. There's still stuff that he needs to achieve at City before he's satisfied.
2: Yeah. yeah. Just to clarify that point about the 82%, I wasn't talking about a win record, which would be absurd when you think about it, but it was actually 82% of the points available that he's taken. Yeah, amazing. Um, So in that, if we're looking at the battle of the managers or whatever you want to call it, compare and contrast
3: Pep with Jurgen Klopp. (sighs) I think the one thing that really strikes me through through this incredible battle, and it has been sort of toe-to-toe, is the respect shared between the two, two managers. I do think they, they they clearly play differently, I think, in that basically Liverpool are so much more of a pressing team, I think. And don't get me wrong, City are obviously clearly very good at that themselves. But I think the energy that that, that, that they... That they expend into playing that way, I think everyone could see that, and it was brilliantly illust- illustrated last week at Anfield. But I do think they're incredibly tight and close, and I think Klopp, his con- I think it, it, his connection with with players is crucial. His connection with the with the fans. That's not to say that he's not, you know, Guardiola's not adored. But I do think that that, that sort of Klopp feeds on that energy from indeed Anfield, and you know the Liverpool fans generally. Mm. But I do feel at times you get a sense that the players would run through brick walls for Klopp. And that's the sort of momentum that he builds from, from having those, those connections. I think that probably Guardiola might be better tactically. And I think that the way he builds play can make City, I think, slightly more attractive to watch. Although Liverpool completely I think at times blow you away mm. what I'm trying to say is that basically ultimately I think they're very very similar both in in, in style and, in, and in, in in stature but I think right now Guardiola does have a little bit of, of an edge on Clock. he needed to, to to kind of take City on and basically after I mean I'm sorry but it's clear for all to see that Liverpool the turning point in this title race was the Merseyside derby because that was the day that Liverpool, during a spell when they weren't playing at their absolute best, mm-hmm. it was a nil-nil draw. And that was the day that basically dropping points meant that it was back in City's hands. And until that point, then basically it was in Liverpool's hands. And then from then on, City, midway through that period, they'd been on a 14-game winning run to clinch the title. That was the That was the standard set... By Liverpool and saying that's what you'll need to do, and I think I go back to that point about the respect that is clear between the two managers, and I think that basically if you look, go back through it, they've not once criticised each other. I don't think there's been little, you know, pokes, but not 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 on a you know a previous sort of scale of mind games or kind of you know really sort of ugly spat or anything like that. I think there's genuine respect because I do think. The guys, in many ways, are very similar. But I do think Pep still maintains a slight edge at the moment. Yeah. Is is Klopp, say,
2: more empathetic? And and that probably suits a club like Liverpool, where essentially they, they, they turn their, their star players into heroes, don't they, folk heroes? Yeah. Whereas Manchester City, it's almost more machine-like. And I don't say that in any sort of disrespectful way. It's actually the individual is yeah. subjected to the collective. And, and Guardiola acknowledged that yesterday. He said that we don't have somebody who's going to
0: necessarily dribble past five players and score a wonder goal and maybe do that 15, 20 times a season. Um, they have amazing players in virtually every position. Well, actually, in every position. I mean, the, the team and squad at City is, is mouth-watering, but it is very much about the collective. It's, uh, you're right, it's a machine. And and it's a machine that has been set up to, to work the Guardiola way. Um, it's it just clicks, but it it didn't at first. But it took and it took it's t- taken its time to sort of calibrate it to to work in this way. But it, it now is a machine in, in in Guardiola's own in an image. Yeah, yeah. I think they're both at the right clubs. I mean, Klopp is perfect for Liverpool for the sort of feverish passion that that, that um, well that comes from that club. I mean, we, we've all seen it in European nights, but we've not seen it over the course of a Premier League season now as well and but C- city we should acknowledge perhaps that city did did it this season 98 points held off that challenge despite fernandinho's absence with injuries quite regularly despite de bruyne being out for what, 20 games through injury um he was their best
3: player last year
0: yeah he? absolutely incredible. and and they they've still maintained the standards to I mean, even you could argue even without I know Mara scored a wonderful goal yesterday, but he was their one major addition last summer, and he's what's it fourth Premier League start of the calendar year yesterday. Um, so he's not made perhaps the the impact that you normally a sixty million pound player would expect to to make in a team. So it is hugely impressive, um, and it, I just I mean I feel sorry for, for that Liverpool season hasn't yielded that that trophy because they have been exceptional. It's just that. City were that bit more exceptional mm-hmm. in, in the in the final count.
2: Well, they've got the Champions League final as yeah. we all know, haven't we? Um, and it's there's an interesting another comparison between the clubs. They're the goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. Um, Edison, twenty uh, clean sheets. Allison at Liverpool, twenty-one. Now, yeah. you know, Dave Priest, late of this parish, now in freezing freezing somewhere north of, north of here. <laughs> he basically saying that Edison's probably
3: his goalkeeper of the season. Mm. Um, what do you think? I would probably agree. Yeah, I, I do think Allison has made a world of difference to Liverpool. Mm. I know that's probably the most obvious thing you'll <laughs> you <know? laughs> hear. But because we've, we've gone from carius to to Allison, and I think Alisson is is a bigger goalkeeper, isn't he? Fills the goal more. I mean, sometimes I look at Edison and I think, blimey, how how tall is he again? Because <laughs> he can look a sort of almost like. You know, sort of when he it doesn't feel the goal, he looks like a pint-sized midfielder, and he can certainly play in midfield. But and I think that Allison is the more commanding goalkeeper, and he has been something of a revelation for Liverpool. I mean, blindly, how often do we do we see a goalkeeper arrive, and he, he's just not. I mean, maybe he sort of kind of had one mess up at Leicester, if you mm-hmm. remember that one. Yeah, the croise turn. Absolutely, yeah. but then really. It's it's a phenomenal achievement for a foreign goalkeeper to arrive in English football for a huge fee and then not to suffer any sort of degree of criticism. That shows his quality because I think we tend to look at goalkeepers, sort of in the English press, far more acutely than perhaps some of our counterparts abroad. I don't know, I might be wrong. It's just, mm. you know, I look at the sort of the foreign press quite a lot and I don't think they do sort of put them under the microscope quite as much as as we do. But I just feel that Edison might just shade it simply because he's so good on the ball mm. that as I say that he can play out. You know, can he I mean Alison I think is responsible for for some fantastic saves. But I think Edison is is that more comfortable, perhaps his lower sense of gravity, it sort of kind of defines that, but he, he begins attacks, he never panics, yeah. and, and he never gets caught on the ball, it's remarkable. But they're right for their respective clubs as well, I mean, Edison does fit into the
0: system, mm. he's exactly what Pep Guardiola is, and he also arrived in English football and just hit the ground running, and, and last season was sensational, this season just as good, but Alisson... I mean, look at Alisson against Barcelona last week. We sort of forget that. I mean, it's the goals at the other end. But, I mean, he he pulled us some sensational saves in that, in that game. And he he almost does it unnoticed because we're drawn to Salah, we're drawn to Mane at the other end of the pitch. And he he has been brilliant in his own way. And for Liverpool, not only have they turned a 25-point deficit into a one-point deficit in the season, but they've also become the stingiest defence in the division. Yeah. I think they've won better than, than City, 21 goals conceded. Look back and remember the laughing stock that Liverpool's back line was not that long ago. And now they're the best out there.
2: Mm. It says it all. It wasn't quite enough, but it says it all. Yeah, well, if you're talking about laughing stocks, you think about Manchester United and it's really sobering. Only two clean sheets at home this season, fewest of anyone in the Premier League.
3: That tells you a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. It, it's, yeah, they just. I don't know what's happened there, but it's been that, that, that sort of, you know, breakdown at United. But it just shows you that, that sort of kind of your home form, your home results are the base of everything, isn't yeah. it, really? I mean, it's just, you know, Anfield has become a fortress. And sometimes the, the well. goalkeeper is only as good as the people in front of him. Isn't yeah, it? definitely. And I think I think, yeah, De Gea has been ex- horribly exposed. I mean, we, I, I still think we think... You're, if you are asked a straight question, who's the best goalkeeper in the world... I think the kind of natural reflex answer mm. is basically you say, David De Gea, mm. you, we've got it on sort of almost, you know, autocue. Oh. It's in the sub, subliminal, you know, it's in your subconscious. But I have to say, it's it's been a bad year. And I, when I say that, it's been a bad sort of 12 months in in that basically I think the build-up to the World Cup, he was, he was flawless. I remember people saying it after he had a really good game at at Watford, really early in the season, or, you know, this proves he's, he's the world's number one. Well, it doesn't. It really doesn't. If you've been watching him, mm. you know, and then through, you know, through the World Cup, his, his star has fallen. And I think that he is the the ultimate shot stopper. He's the ultimate reflex goalkeeper. He's the, also the ultimate goal line goalkeeper, mm. if you see what I mean. Because mm. his, his reflexes are phenomenal. And he, he will still have amazing performances, like against Tottenham at Wembley. But I do think that, The art of goalkeeping has evolved and I felt for a long time Hugo Lloris was the best of both worlds. So he was the sweeper-keeper, really good with his feet and a fantastic goalkeeper, which I still think he is. He's won the World Cup, so he can't be that bad. But he's not quite as good as he was. Mm. And I just think that there's still room for improvement for Edison and Alisson who are on the upward scale, whereas I think David De Gea is playing like a, a goalkeeper who... His goal, style of goalkeeping is going out of fashion, but I also think he's perhaps got his mind elsewhere. But
0: you couldn't... I mean, David Aher couldn't play like Edison or no. Alisson because he he's not going to give the ball to no. Phil Jones or Chris Smalling or even Victor Lindelof he's, and, and expect them to sort of be able to get out of a press or whatever. Yeah. He just looks like a goalkeeper that that was brilliant and was, was single-handedly keeping a team afloat and then it has to become a point where the inadequacies of everybody else around him, mm. he's going to suffer. I mean, he, it just wears he you down. To. Yeah, it's got to. It's got to. And once the confidence suffers, then he won't be at that stellar level anymore. But I'm sure
2: he'll get it back. I mean, he's an absolute... He's a, he's a brilliant goalkeeper still. Yeah, yeah. Staying on that goalkeeping theme, Don, um, with Watford, FA Cup final, is an FA Cup final the time and place for sentiment? I'm thinking in terms of, do Watford... Go with their heart, which would be to keep Aurelio Gomez, or their head, which would be to say, "Well, Ben Foster probably has been our number one; he should play in the final."
0: Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's an awkward one, especially when you've gone through the entire tournament or you know cup competition, playing one man. Mm. Um, and you, I mean, look, if I was if I was a manager, I'd I'd want to go with my strongest team, and Ben Foster is the better goalkeeper at the moment, but. I can sort of see the sentiment. Look, on his day, Gomez is still excellent, um, uh, but I still, I think, I think Foster gives you a better chance of repelling what is likely to be a barrage at, at Wembley again from from Manchester City. Um, but but you know, it's yeah, they're, cent- they're they are sort of romantic occasions, aren't they? FA Cup mm-hmm. finals, um, and maybe maybe the romance of the competition dictates your selection policy on the, on the day I, I mean logically speaking you'd go with your strongest
2: your strongest lineup mm. it is difficult you know not to be influenced by a player's personality Look, mm. Gomez is, is a, a lovely guy mm. you know he's someone who's going to retire at the end of the season become a, a pastor you know a man of great moral codes uh, but as a goalkeeper sometimes he's like a frog in a blender <laughs> isn't he? he's all over the place <laughs> absolutely what yeah. would you
3: do Oh I, I'd go foster all day long forget his sentiment sorry he's yeah. gone. You're at Wembley, you want to win a trophy. Honestly, down the years, it's driven me to distraction. I've I've watched a lot of Arsenal down the years. And (laughs) Arsene Wenger was incredibly loyal to his number two goalkeeper who played in the Cups. Mm. And honestly, I mean, it's just been remarkable how, you know, in in fairness, in years gone by, I think he he did sort of kind of, um, through the rounds, he even in one season left out Seaman, but brought Seaman back for the the final. But then in, in more recent times... He, he's rotated it between... And then I think there was one season when I think even Wojciech Chesney was sort of ostracised from the, from the first team but then brought back for the cup final. No-one could quite believe it. Um, who was you playing Baku then? But then, then you know, more recently, you've had Czech and Ospina. Yeah. Yeah. And then basically, he, he, he's basically gone for Ospina, who I've always felt needed a stepladder to reach the cross path. <laughs> and, like, Czech is a, one of the all-time greats. This was a, we we went and saw Petr Cech last week and did sort of in, interviewed him, and basically this, this was the great irony about our conversation was that Petr Cech registered his his biggest frustration, dis, biggest disappointment from his time at Arsenal was that he signed for Arsenal in the hope of not a not only trying to help them win the Premier League, and he thought 2016 was the best chance. But almost I felt that it was almost more important yeah, to him in the way that he said, was that basically I would help them improve on the European stage. And, it, and then he basically said, after all that, I get there, and they don't play him in the Champions League. <laughs> I mean, it was, just, it was just incredible. And then it goes around full circle. He's lost his status now, perhaps, as, as Arsenal number one, and burned Lino... Um, is his is first choice. I have to say, I think that I wouldn't have a problem, and in fact, I probably would go with Czech in the Europa final. Simply because I don't know whether you saw this stat yesterday, but basically, I think Bernlino has finished the season with the joint top number of mistakes that directly led to a goal. Mm. I'm not. I think Bernlino will be a very good goalkeeper in the future, but I, for me, they're on level pegging. Whereas I don't think and in fact I actually I'm a big Czech, you know, fan, so I'd probably arguably sort of still have him for experience and quality slightly higher than Lino. But that's personal choice. Don't have an issue with, with him playing. But I think that basically Foster and Gomez, sorry, but I totally agree with you, Mike, that then he is prone to, to error, mm. Gomez, and I'd go Foster all day long. What about you know, we'll acknowledge the difficulty of the task, let's put it
2: like that. But how and, and why can Watford win that game? Midfield, for instance.
0: Yeah, De and Capu. Um Dini can on his day can ruffle the, the best defenders out there, ruffle them up. They have got they have got power through that team. And, well actually you could go back to the, the snap of, of Delafoe's right ankle and that glorious first goal wasn't it at at, uh, at Wembley in the semi final when you've got a player that is capable of doing that and 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 has has a right foot that is capable of doing that then uh, then you've always got a chance however they're going to have to defend phenomenally well they don't have a great record against city generally in recent seasons but you know it's an FA cup final mm. things can Happen and strange things can happen, but they, they they'll have to all play at the top of their game. I mean, we you need Decore back to the, the the best that he was showing earlier in the season with stampeding across midfield, you know, showing City what they're missing when in Fernandino's absence, really. And Capu has to snap into some of the challenges that I've been complaining about for most of this season, <laughs> but he has to do that on this occasion if they're going to stand a chance because they have to unsettle City. Um, to have a chance
2: of winning. Mm. I find Dini a fascinating character because you know, his background, prison, and the way he's rehabilitated himself. Never short of a quote, which is brilliant. Um, as a striker, probably not quite of the highest quality, mm. but, but you know a, a very good standard. Um, his leadership. If you look around the Premier League, who are the natural leaders? Well, you could probably talk about company. You could probably talk about Henderson at Liverpool. Connor Cody at at Wolves, Mm. perhaps, but he's a
3: natural leader. It seems to me, or an emotional leader of that team. Yeah, I think you know, if everyone sort of, you know, one person sort of typified what Watford are about, and he's their their talisman as well. I mean, he's the sort of kind of he's he's the one that sort of typifies that kind of underdog spirit, the battling through adversity. Perhaps almost unfashionable, uh, as indeed you know, Watford are. Let's be honest, a little bit as compared to some of their, mm. you know, the, their sort of rivals. But I think that that's not a criticism in any way. It's just being basically being a little bit realistic about it. I think he doesn't suffer fools gladly. I think he's kind of, you know, rough and rugged and a bit sort of, you know, rough around the edges as well. But I, you know, I, I personally don't think he's ever really been particularly close to sort of the England. Shout and and I don't know whether that's kind of I don't know whether that's fair or not because I think at at times he's probably been you know sort of as a classic centre forward and I have to say that's not the way England Mm plays. That's the biggest thing they don't play that way. And then also sometimes I guess his character would his character because he's so loud and demonstrative. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it feels as if you know Southgate is so concerned about players. About sort of not wanting to upset the kind of the dynamic in the dressing room that he doesn't he doesn 't give them a call, I mean that was certainly the case for sort of John Joe Shelvy, for example, but I also think that that maybe he 's thought well, Dean is such a powerful influence if you see what i mean mm. do, do, do I need that I think that 's probably been quite i think it 's been harsh on Deeney, is what i 'm trying to say that he 's not had an England call because in other areas, areas in other spells. I think arguably he would and I'm sure that would give him, you know, a great deal of pride but he's been so good for Watford mm. and there's been times, I think, in the last couple of years at various stages where they've, I think they've probably looked at moving him on. Yeah. I don't think that's unfair to sort of mm. say that but each time he's come back and proved them wrong, you know, he's maybe sort of star waned under Matarazzi, Mazzara- and, I, you know, I don't think that basically he was sort of flavour of the month then and... You know, maybe was again. He sort of kind of spoke out quite a lot then, didn't he? And okay. sort of upset, upset the apple cart, shall we say, amongst the hierarchy. And and yet, actually, I think all his points have been have been proved right. Really, so I think he he's a hell of a leader and he's a hell of a person. I think for some of those Watford players to look up to and respond because they are a sort of a mix and match sort of mm. sort of team. Well,
2: yeah. the the nature and, of the and, sort yeah, of business plan an makes sure, yeah, people don't stay there a yeah. lot <sighs> a long time, do they? Another leader that probably emerged last week was was Harry Kane, even though he wasn't playing in Amsterdam. Do you expect him to play in Madrid? I do actually. Yeah, I, I mean, I think
0: he will. Well, w- whether it's sensible for, or, or not for him to do so is another matter, and that's I mean, something that the Spurs medical staff will be monitoring. But but we knowing Harry Kane as we've seen with England and. He has this reputation for the injuries that happen so regularly, particularly with the ankles. He always seems to come back slightly earlier than people imagined initially, or maybe he's sensible. Uh, maybe that's why they keep happening. Um, <laughs> but, but this is a such an occasion, mm. and he has—he'll be looking at it thinking, oh, "I've got to, I've got to be ready for the Champions League final because it is Tottenham in the Champions League final." You know, who would have thought this was happening? But then also, he's got the following week, he's got the Nations League and a chance to lead his country into a tournament um, to
2: win Which is even bigger, of course. Well, (laughs) well, yeah. Do you think that will be be an afterthought? Because if you think, it certainly will be. No, I don't think it will. What, for Liverpool and Tottenham players? Not for those players, no. I I genuinely think
0: they're desperate to...
3: They are massively up for it. Yeah, They're really fired up for it. I think the timing is horrendous. Yeah. I mean that basically now we've got two teams who supply a hell of a lot of England players. Yeah, up players to ten here. exactly. It, it's crazy, and uh, I mean Gareth Southgate. What on earth can he do? Because mm. basically he's got to pick those players. Yeah, by the same token, a lot of those players are kind of on the on the line, if you like, be, bearing in mind of carrying injuries, niggles, mm. fatigue problems. Coming problem. back from injuries as well. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's such a big ask for him. I bet I bet he includes Harry Kane in the squad on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. yeah I well, I you say know. he's
2: doing it on Thursday. Do you expect any? Not, not new names, but surprising or emerging names. What about Lewis Dunk at, at, at Brighton? Who I thought has
3: been terrific. Oh, he's been fantastic. Dom's not quite I'm he?
0: sorry, I've seen Lewis Dunk the last few uh, in this run in, and it's been a difficult time at Brighton, as we probably discuss in a minute. But um, I think he's. And when you talk about leaders, Lewis Dunk has a reputation for being a leader. I don't think he's. I don't think he's been that tub thumping leader that they needed him to be of late. They they were brilliant to, in defending. Um, at Wolverhampton Wanderers, where they got a very crucial point, but they looked like little boys lost in a lot of the games up to that. Bournemouth at home, Cardiff at home. I mean, I've I've I witnessed an it was an implosion that night. seen as Cardiff's first goal, the first thing that went wrong for Brighton that night, there was there was no leadership out on that pitch, and and that has ended up costing Chris Houghton his job. Um, I'm not saying he should have demanded more of that no because I think it's a it's a strain on, on Dunk and Duffy in particular because they were the rocks upon which that entire Brighton side has been built, maybe with, with Glenn Murray at the other end. But when they have their little crisis of confidence, which they, they did have, there wasn't much else at that, at that club, unfortunately. So uh, I don't, I'm not, I don't share the, I don't think Lewis Dunk has either, either shown enough on the international stage and in these appearances for England. And I, and I don't, see him necessarily as a, as a player that southgate can can lean on even at where he might be short at centre halves
3: mm, I completely disagree but mm. there you go so all about appearance. why me. why do you I think I think he's a re- I think he's a really powerful strong centre half I think he's comfortable on the ball I think yes I, I would agree like a lot of players you know in brighton second half of the season probably suffered a bit but actually I think him and duffy have been the ones that have, have kept them in the premier league Mm. And I think that they're basically, some of their, but I mean, obviously they give him such a base and uh, I I think they're, you know, I think they're really good. And I think he is a, yeah, I think he's a quality centre-half. I think that basically I'd probably look at it and think it was a straight choice between him and Tarkowski. So I think that's the obstacle that he's up against. And maybe Tarkowski being in the squad a few times now basically might give him that edge. Because I think if you look at it, the others are sort of well-established and, you know, I think they're sort of, even Michael Keane's established, obviously, I think he's had a really good second half of the season. You know, John Stones, despite not playing that often. No, that would, no, abs- yeah. absolutely, and you know, Joe Gomez will clearly be yeah. much more of a centre half for England. Yeah. you know, than right back. And such a, I mean, that will be honestly, such a. Honestly, there him is back. A, yeah, absolutely, he'll make a world of difference, and there's a good pool of players. Basically, is what I'm trying to say. But I do think it's almost between Tarkowski and Duncan. It's a very, very close call. Well, as
2: you say, Duncan's kept Brighton or helped to keep Brighton in the in the Premier League he didn't help to keep Chris Hewton in a job. Now, you were both there yesterday. I think we're all saddened when we see someone like Chris lose his job because, you know, by common consent, he's a man of huge integrity and uh, is also a pleasant man to deal with, you know, in, in the way that we do so. You were there, what was the music? Were you surprised to, you know, when this morning he was sacked? I don't think we can
0: judge anything from yesterday at all. I, I when I look at Chris Hughton and and the and the mood around Brighton, I go back to I did the the Cardiff games and the and the Newcastle game, and there was discontent around in, amongst the supporter base around that press box. They didn't expect to beat or get anything from Manchester City at home the last day, and in fairness, they actually played with far more enterprise in the first. 20, 25 minutes of that game yesterday than they have done a lot of the time this season. And it's been this sort of criticism of an overly conservative approach that that has dogged Houghton, it dogged him at Norwich, it's dogged him in his latter days at Brighton. That said, he he has performed the job that he was asked to do, which was A, to get Brighton, well, first of all, actually, to save them from relegation from the Championship, then to get them into the Premier League and then to keep them there. I don't know what else he could have done It's dangerous to take that next step. I mean, as clubs, you have to time it right. When you you, you want to be more progressive, when you want to be more expansive, when you feel you have a squad that is able to play a different kind of way and establish them at mid-table Premier League level. And I don't think, given the recruitment mistakes that have clearly been made at that club, most notably last summer, when they spent an awful lot of money on, on players that haven't,
2: no return at all. at all. Haven't come off.
0: Mm. I don't think that's his fault. I don't think that's no, Chris Hewton's. Nothing to do with him. That's the, that's the recruitment department that have let him down badly.
2: So it's just the old story of a club
3: with ideas beyond its station. Potentially, yeah. I mean, listen, I think they have got ideas, better ideas, I think. And whether that is above their station, we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But what, what has struck me over... And I have to say, I, I slightly disagree with Dom, simply because we have sort of had this discussion before that at the end of his press conference, Chris mm. Hutton, he just, I mean, he's such a nice guy, Chris. He's an absolute pleasure to deal with, as are Brighton, I have to say, brilliant yeah, club to yeah. deal with. And basically, he got up at the end of the press conference and he basically just, just said a few words, basically. Thanks for all your support, guys. Really appreciate it. Been a sort of a pleasure dealing with you and... He then sort of, I felt, said said something along the lines of hopefully, but very pointedly, hopefully, see you next season sort of thing, really.
2: So I had the feel of a farewell I, I did, and then just I, as, I read it completely the other way, it's just pretty as, weird. Yeah, yeah,
3: well, just as he left the room and he said, oh, kind of, you know... D- to, to us sitting over that side of the room, basically, what what are you doing in the summer? I just sort of you yeah, more football. And he sort of then sort of said, yeah, football, and then basically I need a, something like, you know, I need a break from it all sort of thing. And I thought, mm. and I just thought, but I still, I must confess, you know, I didn't think they'd do it um, so quickly in terms of the next morning. And indeed, you know, I thought if, if they did do it, I thought they I think where, where it's been unfair on him, is that he's done such a good job, such a such a solid job. And yes, it hasn't been very good the, the last few weeks. And he'd admit that, I'm sure. But I think he's earned and deserved the right if they do want to go to a different place. And I mean that with, with more homegrown signings, with better signings, with better recruitment. Then I think that he has done enough to warrant that opportunity to manage those players and take that club forward, mm. if you can't see that, what a solid job he's done for Brighton. Brighton have never been established as a top flight club. I don't care, you know, who, who says not not in recent past. And he has. When we all picked our teams to be relegated and tips for the start of the season, I bet no one had Brighton going down. I just felt, and we probably might do. I grant you, next season, and that's that's a worry, but. Give him until October. That's my point. And then basically give him that opportunity to get welcome those players in, make some squad changes. Yes, some of the players have not been good enough, but he deserved that right. And that's what I think the disappointment is. I think we've all been around the block
2: long enough to realise that the next man's probably in place. Mm-hmm. You look at Dan Ashworth, his sort of, you know, forgive the pun, his DNA is young... Technically astute, empathetic head coach. Uh, who do you think Brighton will
3: be looking at, and who do you think they'll get? Well, what have we talking about? <laughs> we? Well, basically, I, I think we're both of the view that basically, right, you know, if they've got a very short shortlist, right, right at the top will be Graham Potter of Swansea, who I think is sort of, you know, has done a decent, decent job, a very difficult good job with, in yeah. terrible circumstances, absolute difficult circumstances. And there's been a bit of frustration there. I'm sure that they'll lose a couple of players this summer as well. You know, obviously, Dan James has been one. And then basically, I'm sure that that job would appeal to him. You know, Mm. if he could move from the Championship to a club, which I have to say is still incredibly well run at Brighton. Mm. And still looking to progress, then I'm, I'm sure he'd do that. I don't know that it's done as such, but I think that if all parties could agree, then... Yeah, then maybe it's the most likely at this stage.
0: It's interesting that this has happened now and that, yeah. say, David Wagner took that Schalke job last week because he, he was a figure that was was talking about staying in the Premier League, wanting yeah. to stay in the Premier League. And I would have thought that, that would have been the type of fit that he would have liked yeah. um, coming into to Brighton. Look, Brighton's, we talk about above their station, Brighton have got a stunning stadium. They've got a, an even better training facility at Lansing. <laughs> the basis is all there. They, they just need the team to sort of catch up and whoever takes that job, albeit, as you say, they, they will appoint a head coach, the the onus is going to go back just to recruitment. It's mm. just on recruitment. They've got to get that right. They've, they've got an ageing team. They're, they're reliant upon a guy who's 35 scoring their goals. I mean, I love Glenn Murray to bits, but he is not. He's the wrong side yeah. of, of yeah. his mid-30s. Um, it's... It'll all boil down to that and and they have to
2: get that right. Do either of you expect any more Premier League managers to go in the next couple of weeks? Here's a case in point. I don't expect this to happen, but should it happen? Should Manchester United accept that they probably made a mistake and rectify that mistake?
3: The the biggest single mistake that they've made, I think, was that, that in everything that they said and did in December, which was get rid of Jose Mourinho and bring in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, was to say that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is highly unlikely to be the long-term manager. And basically on the back of a remarkable winning run, particularly Mm. away from home, they're basically setting records, which when you do that for Man United, it's got to be something special. Where I think they then basically made a terrible mistake and shows their naivety and the lack of leadership from above is to jump the gun... And having said previously, they'll make a decision on the in summer, they, they got caught up in a wave of emotion and momentum, particularly on the back of Man United's remarkable mm-hmm. win in Paris to go, progress in the Champions League. And said, right, we're going to give Alain Ganesh the job. And they did it um, you know during stroke at the end of the international break. And I just think that from that moment on, says everything you need to know about this group of players, which will ultimately, I think, let any manager down, not just Solskjaer. And that is fundamentally at the root of the problem, is that they switched off. They thought, oh, we've got the guy that we wanted in charge. Thanks very much. We'll take the foot off the gas. Results will tell you that's exactly what's happened. They've they've gone down the pan. They've missed out on an amazing opportunity to finish top four. Um, they crashed out, obviously not totally unexpectedly out of the Champions League and they've switched off and they've let the manager down. Do they need someone stronger and more experienced? Yes. Should they do that now? Well, I have to say, I think that would be out of keeping with United's tradition, but they've really let themselves down by making that decision on a rushed basis and getting swept along by momentum. If you've got a really strong technical director or director of football, he says no, we're going to leave it until the end of the season and then we'll make a judgment call. And I just feel that they've let the air out the balloon, basically, and it feels so, so flat. And I think that arguably making that brutal call would probably be the right call. But I don't know in the grand scheme of things whether United and their tradition and their DNA of giving legends a chance. I don't know whether that, that really fits, but... That's me getting sort of a, a sucker for a good story and sort of a fairy tale appointment.
2: Sure. Some questions, actually, from the, the viewers and listeners. Two, actually, on Manchester United. Vernon Grant asks, what one word would the panel use to sum up Manchester United's season? Mine would be lamentable. Is it time they put their trust in kids? Panicked? Trust in kids? Well,
0: if the kids are good enough, yeah, I guess. It's a... But but unfortunately, they have a a sort of strategy, if you can call it that, of bringing in stellar players who are to make a a squad that is effectively just a a group of individuals who are all um, almost playing for themselves. There's no. You look at City and what they've done, and they've got a system. You know exactly what they're doing. Look at Liverpool. He's brought specifics in to improve the collective. It has worked. Nothing United have done in the transfer market has worked. In fact, when they got linked with Dan James, you, you look at that, the young winger of considerable talent, and you think, actually, that's that could be the first thing United have done right in the transfer market for some considerable time. Um, everything else is haphazard. There's another word, haphazard, do that. Um, or shambles. <laughs> yeah.
3: I was going to say drifting, just because it feels like... I was, I was torn between drifting and mediocrity. If I cheated, there I probably have. But um, we'll forgive you, mate. Don't worry. I, I just, I just cannot believe that Man United. I mean, we used to think of Man United would always be in the top two, and and now we think it's a struggle each year to be in the top four.
0: But we remember Liverpool in the early nineties. don't we, we, we yeah. don't know what happened
3: there, and it was a Maybe almost a similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I just feel that Man United is, is this monster. They've got so much wealth. They've got so much marketing. They've got so much power that this really shouldn't be happening. They should be buying better. You know, they've mm. got this amazing sort of tradition that, that still attracts. Yeah. Uh, Paul Fry
2: asks, you know, Pochettino took over at Tottenham saying it was a five-year project. Uh, now they're in the Champions League final, top four again. How long will it take Manchester United to get back to that level? Five years or more? assuming everyone else
3: will improve this summer? I think it will take five years, definitely. I think five years, if you can do it within five years, fantastic. But they need to completely rebuild. I mean, it's just, you pick apart, there's worries over the goalkeeper. You know, I think arguably they've got to let him go. You know, know, basically the right-back, I was going to say the full-backs. I mean, Luke Shaw has just been crowned player of the year. In that, you know, probably it's not something that will fill him with, I'm sure it will, but sort of fill him with sort of particular pride because he's arguably been voted the worst sort of. He's the least worst player. Absolutely, you know, and and fair play to him. He's he's done all right, so I'm not really looking to sort of, you know, nail him. And basically, the centre halves have struggled. They've got Ashley Young playing for a large chunk of the season at right back. You know, he's, he's, he's so unfair on Ashley Young, who's always, I think, been very committed. He's not a fullback. He's playing out of position. And, you know, people then absolutely rightly, you know, crucify him. Well, he's playing he's, from memory, isn't he? That's he is. I mean, he's yeah. just gone. You know, he's, I do feel sorry for him. I think he's been a decent servant, fun enough. He's never complained. And, you know, midfield is an absolute mess. Up front, it's clear that Solskjaer doesn't really fancy Lukaku and then basically he's gone to to a different way. And Rashford, I think, is the one player who's maybe sort of still on an upward trajectory. But there's so many holes and so so many areas within that squad, I just don't know where to start. So basically, it's a long, long rebuilding process. But you put, you know, basically, if you mention any player that's not within the sort of the top two or three in, in that particular bracket, the Man United fans go into complete meltdown, like you were saying about you know, Dan Jameson, it's like, actually, you have to be realistic about this and say that if you are a top player, do you want to go to United at that stage? And Pochettino didn't buy his way or build that team on stellar signings, but he's really built that club up on intelligent signings. Mm.
2: So, final point. Say we're looking forward to the FA Cup final. I still think it's one of the great days. Who's going to win?
0: Watford. Because I said City would win two trophies this season, so I have to stick with it. (laughs) I actually thought, yeah, look, it it would be wonderful if there was a bit of romance right at the end of the season. So, on that basis, i better have Horelio Gomez scoring the decisive penalty in a shot
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I think that City will yeah, win it. I mean, yeah, logically. Yeah, I yeah. think the City will win it. Complete, City, doesn't it? Complete the treble or quadruple, if you, you know, if you'd if you listen to Pep. But I think they've been the best team and they'll take a hell of a lot of stopping. But what would be, would be the fairy, fairy tale. But I tell you what, if City do complete the treble, what an achievement. Yeah. What yeah. an achievement. Yeah. yeah. Well, my mum watched
2: only one game of football in her life. That involved Watford in the 1984 final. She sat next to Freddie Starr near the Royal Box. Watford lost that day and will probably do so again. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast.